0: Hey, everyone. So before we start the episode, for those of you who are not listening on YouTube, just be aware that there's going to be a little bit of bonus content for our visual viewers. All that is is just a trailer for Kerbal Space Program 2. So if you are listening on Spotify or Apple and you want to access that trailer, you can just go to the Kerbal Space Program social media, go to their YouTube, and you can find the trailer there. Uh, but for those of you who are watching on YouTube, please enjoy a look at Kerbal Space Program 2. Wow, that looks really cool. I, I cannot wait to play that when it launches into early access on February 24th, 2023. But until then, welcome back to the Excelsior podcast. Today I am joined by Aura Josephson, Senior Marketing Manager for Kerbal Space Program 2. Aura, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about your guys' upcoming game.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for taking a break from the MCU stuff to speak with me.
0: <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, we uh, we just released our holiday special after a bit of a delay ranking the entire MCU. So that was that was a big thing. Um, this is great. This will be one of the first, one of the first episodes we have after the mid-season break. And you know, what what better time to talk about? Kerbal then literally almost a month away uh, uh, from the release. Speaking of the release, one of the biggest changes from Kerbal Space Program 1 and one of the biggest changes overall for private division in Take-Two is launching Kerbal into early access. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first early access launch in the history of the company, right?
1: Yeah. It's the first early access game for Take-Two in general. So we are a bit of a pioneer in that front, which I think is very appropriate for the Kerbal Space Program brand yeah. in general. But the KSP, KSP1 did launch in early access in 2011. Right. So the community is used to it, which is great, but um, Take-Two as a whole, it'll be a bit new for them.
0: Interesting, interesting. Talk to me a bit about kind of that process, that decision, um, how that's differed at Private Division from their other launches, everything like that. Also, you were a bit out of focus, just if I
1: Yes, let me see if this <laughs> fixes it. The logic webcam it's not great all right i'll correct eventually <laughs> um yeah so i mean it's we've been working on ksp2 for a very long time as anyone yeah. in the community is aware of and and they've been anxiously asking for it for many years so part of this decision was that we want to get this game to uh the community sooner rather than later as soon as possible mm-hmm. and a lot of pretty much all of the foundation of the game is complete and it will be complete for early access. Um, the big new features that we've discussed, such as colonies and interstellar travel and multiplayer, those are huge expansions from the first game yeah. that, um, you know, in the first game, a lot of players didn't even reach beyond the moon. So it's, <laughs> It would be unfair to hold the game longer to complete all those other features in totality and with full polish, um, just when it's going to take even longer for people to reach those features as well. Because at the end of the day, they are beyond; uh, those are like beyond the original celestial bodies in the game. Yeah. Um, But then we've also found that even when Take Two took over development of KSP one and making the DLCs, all those DLCs were driven by player feedback, Mm -hmm. and we said why not just implement player feedback from the get-go with ksb 2 and do it in a very formal way through early access, which we've seen great success with from other games like Vampire yeah. Survivors and, and many others, um, Astroneer, um, Satisfactory. They've all done a fantastic job with early access. So it just seemed to make sense for what the goals are of the development team to launch in a very collaborative way in early access. And that way we can prioritize different features and different pieces of work based on what the community wants to see next.
0: Sure. You know, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in early access. Um, I've played all those games, Astroneer, Satisfactory, Vampire Survivors. I'm currently playing this game, Deadlink, that's very unlike those, but, but it's an early access mm-hmm. title. Um, but my general fear with early access, that I think is shared by a lot of people, is, you know, when a game enters early access, I think there's a 50-50 chance of what happens next, right? You either have the Astroneer Satisfactory uh, you know, launch cycle where they release update after update. It's incredibly communicative with their communities. Um, and they end up, you know, whenever that 1.0 comes out, it ends up being great and then go from there in, in the normal development cycle, or you get the star citizen style of early access where the game never releases. Um, the updates sort of follow player feedback, but don't ever fully reach where players want the game to be. And so you're left in the state of like, is this just it? is this just an early access title it's never going to get out of that and this is just sort of what we're left with and then of course you have the games that launch in early access and just die in early access right and obviously purple space program is not going to be uh that last category it's almost certainly not going to be that second category because we've seen ksp1 right the guys intercept games are incredibly talented this is at its core a player-driven experience and a community-driven experience but i am curious you know going into this a second time in an industry that is much more open to early access in general and has had much more experience with early access. Kind of what are the lessons from not only KSP1 in general, but more specifically the KSP early access cycle, and how is that informed, you know, what content is going into the early access launch, how you're planning out the next few months and few years of, of development.
1: Yeah, one of the biggest learnings, especially looking at other more more recent games I've done early access, is going in with a roadmap. Mm-hmm. So we have publicized the roadmap, um, so it's very clear what the vision is to get to 1.0. So a lot of the feedback will come around and be focused on things like balance. Are the tutorials effective? Because that's a big... Um, goal of KSB2 is that new players and and players that had a lot of difficulty with the, the text-heavy tutorials for the first game, which I was one of those players, too. Like I, I definitely struggled to get through the tutorial experience. Like, Is that stuff effective? Is Are the new VAB building tools effective? Are the new map tools effective? Um, what tweaks can be made there? What tweaks can be made to the balance of the engines and stuff like that? It's, it's not necessarily like what is the next major new feature that we should make for the game. Those are already defined. Um, and so those are listed in the roadmap. And we've been publicizing those for, for years now with colonies yeah. and multiplayer. And that's kind of the, the big takeaway there, because a lot of early access games that do launch and kind of get stuck in that you know uh, period of just undefined early access for forever and ever. Um, the issue is that they don't really know what 1.0 looks like for them. Mm and for us like it's very clearly defined what 1.0 will be uh especially for the dev team and um so we're really excited to get to that but again the goal is like how do we make as many people as possible able to play ksp2 on day one um so hopefully we get a lot of feedback there
0: that's good i think that's that's a good goal especially considering ksp1's very niche uh uh market market appeal um Granted, a, a fantastic game. As somebody who played KSP one uh, the way I was introduced to, to the Kerbal Universe is one of my really good friends played it, and he was very, very into those style of games, those kinds of super niche, super deep, like you're going to be up late at night with a notepad calculating delta V style yep. of game, which did not appeal to me uh, at the time. I think this must have been like 7th or 8th grade, and I was into playing like Halo and Destiny, and, and, and the standard games that most 7th and 8th graders play. But I played Kerbal Space Program too. Uh and my takeaway from it, I didn't play it for that long, but my takeaway from it was this is an incredible wealth of knowledge and replayability and experimentation. But wow, I feel like I need a, a textbook next to me um, in order yeah. to in order to understand it. And so, you know, when I when I started seeing the stuff for Kerbal Space Program too, and you know, when you talk about stuff like you know, updating the engine and 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 making it for next gen and the and the new generation of, of gamers. Like, visually, it's it's outstanding. I mean, the, the cinematic trailer that we showed earlier in this episode, the gameplay trailers we've seen on YouTube and on social media, it's an absolutely out-of-the-park visual experience. What, I, what I'm curious about is not only for the new player, but for the player like me who thought that Kerbal Space Program 1 was really cool but just couldn't, like, get into it as much as they wanted to. What's the balance between... Sort of, I guess, simplifying and almost like casualifying the intro experience, if those are the right words, without losing what makes Kerbal Space Program Kerbal Space Program. Because part of the appeal and part of the uh, the identity of the franchise is, yeah, you're going to be calculating delta V and you're going to be you know figuring out real world physics and math problems in a video game environment, in an interactive entertainment environment. Um, and, you know, we've seen when games try to kind of morph those two identities, right? You we know, have broad access with keeping the hardcore center. Sometimes it works well and sometimes it can really backfire. You end up losing the players that are most important to your, to your brand.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, the good news with such a lengthy tenure of KSP1 is that it's very clear what changes need to be made to, to accomplish sure. that of making sure people don't need a notepad. That being said, we don't want to take that away from people. I think it's, it is an audience that does like a more analog experience. Like I'm yeah. a photographer and I recently got a camera that has no autofocus, has no auto ISO and stuff because I've used modern cameras for so long that I like an analog experience. And I see that overlap a lot with KSP one players. <laughs> um, so so you really can funny. still
0: I do actually, that. Yeah. I, I just bought a camera, and my first thing was like, "How good's the autofocus on this?" That's
1: <laughs> that was, how it starts, and, then you, it. It. <laughs> and then you get used to it, and then you get used to it, and you're like, uh, it's it's too easy almost now." But it's it's good to start with that. Um, but came back came back to, to KSP, I'm happy to talk cameras all day long. Um, it's a lot of the goal is to surface the information that you needed to write down on a notepad mm-hmm. before. So the UI is like massively improved okay. now you hover over icons and there's contextual information that pops up in the vab there's a lot more tools for calculating the effects of certain engines being attached to your ships and how they'll get you to achieve the celestial body you want to get to what else you need to do there mm-hmm. what issues you might run into and that type of stuff was just not present in case you yeah. for a long time you could add it through mods and we hope that players Definitely mod KSP two in the same way, and that they um, continue to help fill in the gaps that the development team, while they're focusing on those other big features, might not be able to get to. Um, And you, of course, we definitely are super happy with the modding community, but we we also don't want to alienate those people. So like, none of the challenge has been taken away. If anything, it's a harder game because once interstellar comes (laughs) into play, (laughs) yeah, terrifying sentence. That's why we're starting early access because those interstellar travel and colonies are a greater challenge beyond just the initial game. Cause you have to conquer the initial solar system to get to the next solar system. So it's like, right. it is harder, but you have the <laughs> tools to approach it better. So you don't have to whip out a calculator or anything. Okay. But again, I have two friends that are engineers that, um, they got into KSP one because they do like using a calculator and, and making sure. charts and whatnot. And people like that style in the room. They like having posters of KSP one celestial bodies and all the Delta V maps on their walls. Like, I don't want to discourage that. Maybe we'll make some of our own posters like that too. But um, I definitely don't want to take that away from people.
0: I mean, that's right. That's right. You know, have the option, but but expand it expanded for for the people who don't necessarily. Want that, or who aren't necessarily engineers? Uh, no, it's cool that you guys—you guys saw Kerbal Space Program, and then you saw Elden Ring, and you're like, "All right, we're going to do that. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. know? We're going to make this even more brutal." Uh, but no, I, that is all super exciting. I do want to get to colonies and interstellar and multiplayer in a bit. Um, but I'm really glad you brought up the modding community. Uh, even just like as a gamer myself, I'm always super interested to hear what developers and people who actually work on games think of modders um there's always a conversation like you know on net is the benefit or, or a harm? I think for Kerbal Space Program and certainly for games like it at least from a from a player perspective on net it's a benefit right I play a lot of uh strategy games I play a lot of Stellaris a lot of Civ 6 and especially with Civ 6 which is already an amazing game some of the mods that are out there for it just bring it to a whole other level right and they do things that only developers maybe not that developers wouldn't think of but just like wouldn't ever do on their own for a whole wide variety of reasons um you know certainly even more casual experiences right a game like teardown comes to mind um which is so clearly just a sandbox for modders to do whatever and of course you gary's mod and 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 what have you uh but i'm curious for something like Kerbal space program like you said yourself you guys are very happy with the modding community you're always open to mods um i guess kind of a two-parter number one Based on some of the bigger mods that were available for Kerbal Space Program, the ones that really overhauled the game, right? Not just adding a couple parts here and there, but fundamentally changed the core of the experience. Have you guys found a way to incorporate some of the lessons that those modders taught you into Kerbal Space Program? Um, and kind of seeing firsthand what the community and even the community of developers wants from the franchise. And then kind of for Kerbal space program too, after seeing you know this huge community crop up within the Kerbal space program community, has that kind of informed how you guys have developed you know the sequel, um, how you've designed it from the ground up, looking at what you know is going to come, which is just a tidal wave of new additions and changes to the game from its players
1: yeah, I mean interstellar travel colonies and multiplayer. Are all from mods of KSP one. Right. So That's Nate cool. Simpson, the creative director, who who basically spawned all of these ideas for the sequel. Um, he was a hardcore player. I think he had over two thousand hours when he started on the game, Jeez. and that was a number of years ago. So he's probably well above three thousand at this point. Um, so he's he based all those additions off of existing mods. That's but then cool. a lot of that onboarding stuff that I was talking about that improves the first time player experience. Those mods, such as uh, Alarm Clock, which is a very popular yeah. mod for KSP1 that tells you when you need to activate burns and make adjustments to your flight trajectory, those are incorporated by default. They were actually added in KSP1 as well in one of the later patches, mm-hmm. but then there's even more additional stuff. But there was only so much that the modding scene could do that would, it would it you would have a hard time running a lot of those mods on normal PCs. You'd need a pretty sure. beefy one. The benefit with KSB2 incorporating those mods like um, graphical fidelity that adds a lot of surface textures to planets and, and foliage features and stuff like that. Um, adding a lot of the UI contextual stuff, those things will not hamper down the performance right. of the game in the sequel. So that's kind of the real benefit that we've drawn there is just like reworking the, the actual base code of the game so that it runs better with all those mod ideas included from the, by default rather than it being stacked on top of code right. which will eventually break the game for a lot of people then if you ever update i know that for a lot of case one players those updates can be risky because they do yeah. sometimes break saves and whatnot um but i know if ksp2 when, once people do start modding it from day one i'm sure uh we'll certainly look to incorporate some of those mods by default and. You know maybe we'll look to, to hire some of those modders with ksp with a team currently intercept games we did hire a number of prominent modders for from ksp1 like chris Adderley is the lead parts engineer for ksp2 so when you look at those parts in ksp2 like those came from the guy that made almost all the interstellar parts for ksp1 in the mod scene so wow. um yeah we're, we're very happy with the approach to, to the modding scene for sure
0: Yeah, I will say, you know, as somebody who's, who's who plays a lot of games, it's really nice to hear that when that when developers say we're listening to you, we're incorporating your feedback, they actually do it. You know, it's unfortunately a rare thing in in the industry, or at least it feels like a rare thing uh, when you're on the outside of it. Uh, but it, the way you guys have tackled uh, you know this kind of player feedback is is really cool and really exciting for for the future. At least it should be exciting uh, for the future of of the franchise uh speaking of the future new additions big new changes i want to talk about colonies interstellar multiplayer all of the all of the big stuff um let's start with colonies because for me that's the most exciting thing i am a huge dyson sphere program and surviving mars player to the point where i just beat surviving mars um even though oh, like nice. you're, you're technically not able to beat it like i beat the game it it infinite resources, all the stuff. I actually can't launch it without breaking my computer because of how many different, like, automations I have going on. So having colonies in Kerbal Space Program, I'm really excited about. Um, For those out there who maybe haven't watched the, you know, dev blog talking about it or who don't really haven't ever played a colony game before, talk to me a bit about what that's going to look like in in Kerbal Space Program too, as compared to games like Surviving Mars or, or, you know, whatever else is out there.
1: Yeah, well, since the the feature is not coming to later in early access, and will be partially informed by how people react to the the initial build, I can't go into too much detail on colonies. Okay. We will be putting out a feature video about that. Um, I'm sure if any fans are listening to this, they'll they'll know about the feature video series, which will go really in depth on it. But the big differentiator for colonies and KSP two from any other building game is that the physics system that's applied to ships and flight in orbital mechanics. That is also applied to the colonies parts and and how you build and the strategy of where you build and why you build a colony in the first place. Uh You can't just build something as going to be statically stuck there. It will have a physics implication to it. So if you build Mm -hmm. something on a cliff face or really high up from a gravity well in a certain celestial body that has a higher level of gravity than which is the earth's equivalent that has a gameplay impact over um, you know just building a colony for the sake of building something which is fun in its own right but that wouldn't be very curable if it was just an aesthetic building game like it is about the physics of building a colony um we are talking to a number of the uh i can't get into specifics there but space agencies and whatnot and companies in the space industry that have their own space colony efforts going on and they want to partner on you know doing doing stem outreach and doing educational stuff using ksp2's colony tech and and flight tech because it is hyper realistic to how we actually have to approach real world colony building and and why we would do it because at the end of the day it is about establishing resource uh posts to supply travel for further reaches and journeys of the space
0: that's, yeah, I will say the, the real world connectivity of KSP is one of the coolest things in gaming. Like, like just bar none, uh, that's that's awesome. That's super exciting to hear. It sounds, like, it sounds like, you know, one of the big things for me with KSP1 was it very much felt like a session by session game, right? You log in, you try to do the thing, you either do the thing or you don't do the thing, right? In, in, in simplest terms possible. Um, for me, at least, that's kind of how it felt. It sounds like KSP2 from what you're describing has a much larger meta game end game component to it right where there's stuff threading from session to session uh, that really changes the way you play and the way your your Kerbal you know experience evolves as you go. So that's super exciting um, are there any is there anything you can talk about in terms of content or updates? you know, in the future that sort of builds on that idea that this is going to be a more long-form, more connected experience in the first title.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, well, it'll be longer, more connected just because of the nature of the early access strategy and, and how we add features, but there sure. is, we are, we were keenly aware, and I'm saying me, but really really the dev team <laughs> was keenly aware that for a lot of players that were not into the hardcore simulation aspect of PSP1, they wanted more goals, like explicit goals are similar sure. to like a narrative game, um, where you get that like dopamine hit from achieving something and there's, right. there's a little ping that happens. Um, so that won't be in there at early access, but in some ways it will be, but that is one of the core parts of the roadmaps. If you take a look at the roadmap, when the later mm-hmm. updates is relating to that progression system. So there is a more explicit awesome. progression system in KSP two, where the farther you go into The universe the more you'll kind of unlock and there are more mysteries in the universe um so there's a little bit more lore potentially in there that will lead players into having a reason to look farther and actually build greater and greater ships and again that's for me that was important because i am someone that when i play a game if it's too open-ended i do fall off So I really like that this has a little bit more of a prescriptive aspect to it. If you choose to play that way, you obviously don't have to. You can just do sandbox mode and it's totally fine. Um, So that will come in early access. But at the same time, I think KSP is really unique and special in that the lore is very emergent, right? It's community-driven. Like a lot of stuff around what Kerbals are made of, for instance. I've done some posts on social media like that in the past two years. And those are just playing on jokes from the community that I saw on the subreddit where like they're made, they're like from vegetables or they're space frogs or whatever. Like I want that to be community driven. I want to keep that. So we're not going to be too prescriptive with the lore, but there is a little bit more that is like a, you know, a carrot on a stick for people to go after moving forward. And that's, that's another big change from KSP one where even with like science mode and career mode, a lot of times that progression system still wasn't quite enough. So there will be more in case we do. That's awesome! I'm excited. I'm
0: excited to learn about the great Kerbal battles in uh in the in the intergalactic intergalactic realm, the Kerbal yeah. space program lore. <laughs> um, you would mention you know doing collabor- collaboration collaborations with a whole bunch of real world agencies, and that's awesome. Like especially like me, I'm really in the space. I, I just read a book actually talking about the Milky Way and the history of our galaxy. Um, I think the JWST is one of the coolest things they've ever done. Um one thing we've seen as kind of an industry change is a massive consolidation of different franchises, right? And the big thing being Fortnite, where so so much of pop culture is just in Fortnite as just experiences, right? Whether it's a skin, an event, you know, an area of the map, what have you. Um, Epic Games and the people uh, developing that title have been wildly successful in bringing together just all different corners of, of the space. And so I'm curious any thoughts on you know Kerbal Space Program potentially doing collaborations with other spacefaring franchises be it stuff like you know other games Destiny Halo what have you or even shows The Expanse you know Star Wars Star Trek things that come to mind um any any thoughts on uh, kind of branching out in that way
1: um as the marketing manager slash brand manager for the game I would love to do that. (laughs) That is a tricky thing because there are some people that find KSP as it is, which is a realistic simulation, to be very sacred. And it's hard to walk that tightrope of alienating those people that find the realism to space and and the truth to it to be a key component of the brand in the game versus most other people that just want to see some cool stuff happen in a game. (laughs) Right so that's tough. We do do collaborations are definitely going to do more collaborations with the real world brands, yeah. like, like a NASA, like a European space agency, like a Boeing, like a ULA. Um, we did that in KSP one where we did a, an update with, uh, the European space agency and actually added in two missions that were from their real world missions. Mm-hmm. We're absolutely going to do more of that for sure. That's awesome. Um, but for other space brands, <sighs> I can't commit to anything of course I would love to do it. The nice thing is that the mods that the community creates definitely use that stuff. Like I can't, I can't name anything specific because I think our legal team would get mad at me, but (laughs) there's some mods in there that reference major um, sci-fi brands and, and franchises that I think people can access very easily and, and make use of.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I only ask because like, I can totally see myself uh laughing falling out of my chair if I do all this work to get to the moon and I just see a little' that's no moon pop at to the top of my screen um but no, I think you're absolutely right, you know people definitely understand Kerbal as a you know sacred standalone space that's for that hardcore you know for those hardcore spacefars out there who want to who want to get as close to the real thing as possible without you know, actually becoming an astronaut and going to space. Um, The two other big additions to KSP2, Interstellar and Multiplayer. Interstellar feels sort of self-explanatory, but one thing you had mentioned earlier, which I'm kind of curious about, is the idea that Interstellar is like the end game of Kerbal Space Program 2, right? You have to complete the solar system, you have to essentially beat that class of celestial bodies, and then you gain access to this whole whole other game, whole other set of missions and challenges um, for the player, and so I'm kind of curious. Talk to me about about that and the way you guys have set up the Kerbal end game.
1: Yeah, I, I guess in a way it does become an end game, but that's actually when more solar systems are added. So within the early access roadmap, we've publicized that there will be two additional solar systems yeah. added over time, and but that won't be the extent of all the solar systems. There will be right. others. Okay. When we consider there to be an end game within those extra solar systems that's up to the devs i don't think sure. even they necessarily have a decision yet they'll of course actually be helped by early access and driven by the community um but one of the big things that people want to see different in Case v 2 is more i guess diverse celestial bodies yeah. the celestial bodies even at launch in KSP2 are analogs to what we have in okay. our own solar system, right? They're based on real planets that exist and, and real moons and whatnot. So when you get to the new solar systems, there's going to be some wacky stuff out there. I mean, it's, it's based on real world science that we consulted with a bunch of, um, you know, scientists They're they're in the feature videos. One worked on the Hubble telescope and the James Webb te- Webb telescope. And he's he's an expert in kind of exotic celestial bodies. Wow. And, those are so they're based on his consultations as well as others but they're just crazy stuff like lava planets that's one that we publicized which is rask and rusk and they have a very interesting um dance between each other based on gravity poles and whatnot so it's like bipolar planets but there's a a lot of plants like that that just result in very unique challenges. So, the way it becomes an end game is that you have to solve physics puzzles that you've never solved before, right. not even in mods from KSP1. And that requires a whole new host of parts. It requires more advanced parts and it requires, you know, they're more difficult puzzles. So, it's actually for more advanced players. Yeah. So, in that way, it becomes an end game. But a true end game, I think, in a way, there will be one. I can't. <laughs> give a specific on it because I don't want to spoil anything. No, 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 sure. Go but on. but it is related to like, you know, the progression system that I've talked about and how there yeah. is going to be like an adventure mode of sorts. Um, but it'll it'll be really cool. And I'm excited for those new solar systems. And we're going to probably yeah. do some really interesting art around those solar systems that people could buy, like maybe posters of and whatnot. Yeah, yeah.
0: The, uh, that Rask and rust reminds me a lot of, was it the twin, uh, the thing from uh, Outer Wilds? What is it called? Twin flame, oh yeah, twin peak, whatever, whatever those two planets are. It. It's a lava planet and a nice planet um, yep. that have gravitational pulls on each other. Uh, whatever that's called, reminds me mm-hmm. a lot of that. Um, I'm assuming. Well, I don't want to assume. Um, the colonies in the interstellar worlds. Is it like a one to one? I can build a colony on any planet or any world that I you know can figure out the the parameters of, or is it is it kind of more you know segmented? Like you need to build a colony here can't do one here Yeah, you know, how, oh. how much freedom do i have with that
1: oh no i mean it's still sandbox so if you can right. figure out a way to do it you can do it and same thing there'll be orbital colonies so there's terrestrial colonies and orbital colonies okay. and orbital colonies are actually like the easier thing to do because you don't have to figure out how to build it on the ground of something which right. has a more complex puzzle aspect to it but orbital colonies are just you build them in space and that's like phase one of any colony aspect of an interstellar travel journey yeah including our own real world efforts to do so like you build an orbital colony first typically mm-hmm. i mean the iss in a way it's not an or, it's not a colony but like it's along those lines sure. of getting there so you can really build one wherever you can figure out how to do it within the parameters of the physics so mm-hmm. there there's really no limitation there same thing with like you can essentially do whatever you want in case you want. Nothing segmented out by environment yeah. or area. It's, it's the same, same thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm going to try to build
0: a, I'm trying to build a colony inside of the volcano. I've just decided that's fine. Yeah, that's my I new think goal.
1: Nate has spoken to that specifically of doing that with Raskin <laughs> and Rusky. He's like, you can, you can do something interesting there with the colony. Um, it'll be really I'll hard, be. but you can do it.
0: I've got time. <laughs> Who needs sleep? Who needs sleep? Uh, last thing for Kerbal Space Program 2, multiplayer. Uh, Talking a bit about how about how that works. You know what what is that experience going to look like?
1: I can't say much about multiplayer. Okay. That's that's so far <laughs> off. Um, I know Nate anxiously wants to talk about it whenever he's on podcasts or whatnot, but it's it, we can say that it'll be. the very least a cooperative experience to start like it's case with with more players and that's really good especially if you're an existing player like a veteran player and you want someone new to play with you like like my engineering friends if they want me to go deep into the solar system with them but i'm Mm -hmm. like i'm not good enough to do it I'm, (laughs) i'm scared like i don't have the ability to do it they can assist me in figuring that out or I can take on certain missions or if I just want to do the building colonies part of the game, I can focus on that. and I think that's really cool. As someone that oh, enjoys cool. building games, it's like, yeah. oh, I can build the colonies and then my friend can handle all the flight. And that way you can triage on different missions that you have or different journeys that you have as a group of players um, and to me that's the most exciting part where you kind of assign roles to each other and then it becomes like a real world space mission where it's like i'm the pilot i'm the engineer i'm right. the architect and all that different stuff i think that's a really cool like role play aspect
0: is it that's super cool and that gets me really excited because knowing my friends if all of us try to build a rocket and fly somebody will intentionally sabotage it and will explode about five feet above the ground um, right. But that is super interesting. It, again, I know it's super far off, and you can't say much. But you know, as a hypothetical scenario, let's say we've established a colony in in you know our Kerbal world on like some celestial body, right? Can I, as a builder, stay on that colony while my friend goes off and does other space missions? You know, comes back to Kerbal, whatever he does his own thing. I'm still on the colony, working on it, building it, all that stuff, right? It's not like I mean, that's really. In simpler terms, is it Mission Loft? We all have to be together, all doing the same thing, like a typical like, Destiny or whatever. Or is it more like Minecraft where, no, you can have two people on opposite ends of the universe and they're just working together through being together in that world.
1: From what I understand of my conversations with the design team, it's more like Minecraft where you can do okay. stuff just awesome. dis- like disparately. Like, you don't have to be yeah. all in the same exact location or sphere of influence. but it's still a long ways off. So far off. It could change, but I, the idea is definitely that you can do separate stuff in complete opposite parts of the solar system and still That's really cool. be within the same session. But That's that really of course cool. is a very challenging technical feat that I'm sure yeah. the engineers are are battling with. Yeah.
0: Well I was gonna say kind of because the natural question after that is progression, right? We are so many multiplayer games where progression only transfers on the host server. And for mm-hmm. a game like Kerbal, where there's so much work that goes into every little thing, like that'd be brutal. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, um, is it, is it, again, I know I know it's so far out, but this is so, like, this, this is like, you know, one of the biggest things for, for KSP2. Is it, I'm assuming it's like a multiplayer server, right? Where like, we all log on to one shared world and, and then it just is hosted there as opposed to like, I'm going to host somebody onto my Kerbal world. Um, and then when they go back to theirs, there's nothing there.
1: Mm. I can't answer that. I don't know. I, I, if, I'm up. not even. I'm not even withholding information. I don't <laughs> even know. Like that's. I wonder if they're still figuring that out on the engineering team, but I'm sure they have a plan there. I know they figured out sure. quite a bit of it. Yeah,
0: I'm sure. Yeah, it's always scary when the Kerbal engineers themselves are, are stumped something a problem. That's when. That's when you know. That's when you know it's a big one. Yeah. Um, one thing i'm really interested in just because of you know the times that we're living in is work from home uh, we have seen a lot of game companies switch to either full work from home or optional whatever um you know as 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 we know from working at take two it's you know very much they've been very good about accommodating for, for whatever needs you know it's been uh at least for us it's you know three days a week minimum um and 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 that's been great being in the office and obviously Private division who are just a few floors upstairs you know it's super easy um but Kerbal's obviously a game that has not been developed in the last year, right? It's something that, you know, started long before COVID, dealt with COVID, and, and you know, will be done long after. Um, so I'm curious from your perspective kind of what impact, if any, the pandemic played, how that's adjusted Kerbal's development and, and what lessons you've learned from Intercept Games and Private Division for the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely no secret that the delays that occurred over the past two years were very much influenced by the pandemic and work from mm. home, the shift there it's, and I mean, that's totally the same for all other video game developers that yeah. we're not already remote, but I mean, when you're in the office and especially when you're in a, a large corporation like take two and there's a lot of security protocols for how you transfer bills and how they're uploaded and how you access those bills and then work mm. on different parts of the build. That is the biggest challenge with work from home is that's that you need like the time between Finishing a build, saying it off to another developer or a different team to look at it. And that back and forth aspect takes a ton more time when you're working out of your home office or your bedroom or your living room. And you have to just balance these builds off of one another all the time or send different parts of the game to each other. That takes so much more time than physically being in the same office and just walking over to the other person's desk and working on the right. bills together right there. Like it, it slowed things down dramatically. And that's after everything had been set up at home separately when everyone had moved computers to their houses. But like that alone took weeks, if not months to accomplish wow. effectively and stay within the security protocols of take to interactive so that, you know, things wouldn't leak or bills wouldn't be lost yeah. on the Internet or something like it, it, that slowed things down massively it wasn't as much of an impact on the corporate side but on the dev side for sure yeah
0: no 100 um yeah on the um aside from the tremendous logistical challenges that you just described Kerbal as an entity yeah development of the game creative juices whatever whatever you know buzzwords you want to use do you think the pandemic hindered that in any way or is this still you know the the Is is the is where Kerbal Space Program two is right now, you know, creatively, quality wise, where it would have been, regardless of of COVID.
1: Yeah, for sure, because it the vision was always very clear. Like I said, Nate Simpson is kind of like the vision holder for the game. He knew what he wanted the game to be the moment he had the opportunity to work on it and pitch it. Like he knew what the features were day one. Like he has stories about it. So that never changed and it still hasn't changed it's the exact same vision which is pretty awesome so they still had the same end goal to head towards um a lot of the slowdown was just because of the tech side it wasn't like they were figuring out what is the the creative aspect of the game
0: that's awesome that's good that's good to hear it's it's really reassuring we've heard stories from games that just got completely wiped out uh because of the pandemic and the shift to work from home and so it's it's good to hear that you know while it was obviously challenging, it wasn't cataclysmic for for Kerbal. Right. Um, last thing for you, you're you know, you're obviously a gamer yourself. 2023 is a huge year for for gaming. Like right? not just for not just for Take Two, but just for everyone in the industry. There's so much stuff coming out. Give me your off the top of your head top five most anticipated upcoming games.
1: Yeah, I mean. Feel like a lot of them will be obvious, you know. Sure. Breath of the Wild two, if that does end up coming out this year, that'd be that'd be awesome. Uh, Company of Heroes three, despite it being the same week as us, I believe, which is not <laughs> awesome. But I am a Company of Heroes fan, and I played the first two games plus DLC, so I'm pretty excited about that. um Shoot, there's something coming out early March that I'm also pretty interested in starfield of course again that's a competitor for us i mean the gameplay moment to moment isn't at all the same game it's very different but thematically it's it's very similar because they're they're in space and you're traversing different celestial bodies so and as a space fan i'm of course interested in that and i wasn't even that until like like elder scrolls or skyrim like
0: yeah, no, I've, I've I've never played any of those titles, but Starfield does look cool. I am bummed though that you can't fly in and out of planets because um, yeah. I was really looking for Starfield to just be Star Citizen, but good and finished, uh, yeah. which which would have been great. And then I heard that and I was like, yeah, it's kind of that's, that's a disappointment. That's annoying.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I mean that's tough. I like RPGs, but the the fantasy theme doesn't. No, hit with, with me as much so i'm into the space aspect of that i think that could be yeah. really cool um yeah those are the top games for me i That's wish i bad. could remember the one in march but i am blanking on it i, I feel know like
0: i i feel like i know what you're talking about and it's just it's like march 9th or something it's just not not coming to mind yeah um yeah my my big gaming embarrassment is i have never played breath of the wild Okay. and, and, I, and I, I i know i <laughs> i need to i need to play it because you know, everyone always says like, it's the greatest open world game of all time, and I just have never even touched it, um, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've also, also never played Company of Heroes, but that one I feel like is a little less egregious than, than ever, played, ever played. Yeah, Company
1: that's of a love. bit more niche, but it is really cool for into strategy games. Yeah, I will say, no. actually, hades 2 i'm very into of course private division published the physical version yeah. of hades 1. um so i'm super excited to see what the Supergiant folks do with hades 2. um because yeah. i played the first one a bunch and oh, after, after was... working with super giant on the physical version of hades 2, 1. um I, they're just such great people yeah. they're incredibly kind and fun to work with so awesome. i just want to support them and, and hear more of that voice acting
0: yeah yeah hades was hades is one of the best games of the last few years um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's going to be a good year. And, you know, notwithstanding a slew of releases from, from take two, right? I mean, we just saw at the game awards. Um, not, only come out next year, but even just announced after us, Judas from the, from the Bioshock devs. No. Um, obvi- and then, you know, obviously Kerbal Space Program too, uh, in February. I think that's it for now. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been, this has been a great, great talking to you. Um, for all of our listeners out there. Uh, we said it once at the beginning. Kerbal Space Program 2 releases into early access on February 24th, 2023. You can wishlist it now on Steam. Can you wishlist it anywhere else?
1: Uh, Epic Game Store. Steam and just Epic happens. Games. You can actually get it for free on KSP one on Epic Game Store until January 12th. I don't know when this episode comes out, but this episode, almost, come this
0: episode will almost certainly come out after January 12th. <laughs> Kerbal Space Program 2, February 24th, early access, wishes it on Steam and Epic. Aura, thank you so much for coming on. It was great talking to you. And I'll see you on Tuesday in the office. <laughs> Bye-bye.